the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is produced and distributed through a partnership with AV Nation and Rave Publications. For more information, go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode number 40, recorded Friday, May 4th, 2012. Content wanted. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing. Scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It is time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Tim Albright, your host. Uh, with us this week, we're, we're doing something different this month on AV Week. Uh, AV Week is, is a part of a, of a bigger uh, project. Uh, people, much more than just me, uh, people like Don Mead and, and George Tucker, Matt Scott, uh, the folks over at, at Rave Pubs, Michael Drainer and, and, and Sarah and Gary and NC, who's with us this week. A whole bunch of people do this. Uh, it's not just just me doing stuff. So what I, uh, we decided to do was to kind of highlight the other shows that we do. This week, we're going to highlight one of the shows that started in January. Is that right, George? Yes. January. So this version of <laughs> AV Week is kind of an AV Week, AV Social crossover. Uh, we'll introduce everybody, and then we'll have George kind of go through and explain to people what AV Social is and, and what it's about. One of the people, of course, is George Tucker. He is the engineering coordinator for World Stage. How are you, brother? I am doing well, thank you. Uh, the other one is Dawn Mead. She's marketing and media coordinator at NetAV. How are you, ma'am? Very good, thanks. Hi, everyone. Uh, also with us is NC Nwako. She is marketing and media manager at Rave Publications. Hey, everyone. And last and certainly not least, our favorite Canadian in the whole wide world. His name is Matt Scott, and he is from Omega Audio Video. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Okay, so George, uh, give me a, kind of a, the, the elevator pitch for AV Social. It's a monthly show. Uh, the people here, in, in addition to, we have to mention also uh, Scott Moody, who is usually uh, usually on the show, uh, is would not was not able to join us today, but he is also a, a regular on the on the AV Social show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and my co-host Scott Moody, and and this came out of a conversation between Scott and I about um, how important we think social media is to business in general, and how the AV industry is there, but. It's mostly the people working that are there, and I don't mean that as a dig, but it's the, the companies that are, are involved in this industry weren't very present, and to a small degree, they still aren't or not. Um, and what we wanted to do is, is demystify it a little bit, still generate some of that excitement about what can happen with social media, but also give some practical tips. Uh, and so all of that combined was this really neat little package that we thought we'd get these guys together and give some practical examples. And we were lucky enough to get really great people on it first, like Cindy Gallup, who was on our very first show and who was actually an example of social media because she connected through something I did with uh, Crestron while I was their social media person and developed this great business relationship, not just between her, her and me, her and I, and the, and the company Crestron, 
and others now. And then we also had um, Chris Brogan on, a social media, you know, extraordinaire person who has also been teaching that you can do this, make mistakes. It's okay. Look, I'm a guy who wrote a book on it and I'm still learning how to do video when he does his video versions of, yeah. of his, of his chats and his talks. Uh, and the last episode we had a bunch of AV dealers from Firefly design and JD systems. And, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the other guy at the moment. I apologize. <laughs> Um, and, um, but they, they were also giving their practical advice of how do we do this and what benefits w were there, especially the, the, the hot topic of like, say ROI and the return on investment, which we had a really good conversation about. So it's about still generating that excitement. It's about discussing it in real terms and not making it this sort of mysterious, you know, magical tool. It's not just like the, the, the name of the last episode. It is strategy. Sometimes it's just that simple. All right. The, if you want to find more about this specific podcast, go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV nation, ravepubs.com forward slash AV nation on the right hand side. Uh, about halfway down, there's a pretty little graphic made by a, a very talented and fabulous graphic designer. <clears throat> That's your cue, Matt. No, I'm I'm being very. Uh, <laughs> You're being coy. Very coy. Yes, I'm being very coy. <laughs> and I'm trying to I'm trying to increase my vocabulary <laughs> since since I met George Tucker, who uses tertiary and you know. Um, <laughs> tertiary. I'm sorry. Say it. I, you know what? I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> we butcher wash for crying out loud. We put an R in wash. Uh, you know, that's something I still hear when they you know the news reporters Washington. I'm like, where? 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 Washington is just south of 44, so that's for all the St. Louis people. All right, um, so this week we're going to talk about, we had you guys on here to, to talk about just the general uh, stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about um, a couple different blog posts, and I, I gave Donna a hard time. Somehow, some way, she manages to pique my interest and make my brain work every single time she's on the show. She has done the same this week, so we're talking about one of her blog posts, and also one from Jason Knott, uh, who, from CE Pro. About service is not a marketing expense. And since I've got some social people here and some marketing people here, I thought that would be uh, apropos. Uh, also, we're going to give you a chance to win a trip to Infocom and also talking about various um, new media stuff. How about that? Uh, everything from the Apple TV currently to the new Apple TV to uh, one of the uh, networks that we kind of look to as a as a gauge getting bought out by a big time uh, media conglomerate uh but first and, and i don't know quite how to do this so i'm just gonna say it and and get various reactions um but we record this on on friday afternoons this is this is friday uh may 4th and, and for the star wars fans may the fourth be with you um but uh, we had a, a death in the in the family, as it were. And uh, I'm of the age where the Beastie Boys was one of the first really cool rap groups and really cool rock groups. And you could you could make the argument for them for argument for them to be both. But one of the co-founders passed away today. His name is Adam Yonch. Uh, he died at the age of 47, much too young, uh, due to cancer. Um, so, George, he's from your neck of the woods, and I only say that because I'm, yeah. again, from the Midwest, and everything in New York is, is your neck of the woods. So, <laughs> um, is, is this, I mean, besides it's the fact that it's sad, dominion. huh? It's my dominion. It's, it's your dominion. So, um, I mean, you don't get the entire East Coast because Dawn's in Maryland, so. Uh, but you at, right least, on. You at least get <laughs> New enough. York. Um, th these guys came out of New York, and, and these guys really did change. 
uh, for me, and and this is my personal opinion, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but just kind of talk about for a second uh, the New York angle and also the the angle of of pop and and pop culture in general because they not only were edgy, but they also towards the the middle part of their career and and on through the rest of their career. Uh, took a lot of social uh, issues uh, up into their their firestorm of music. Yeah, indeed, I, they they are from my neck of the woods. In fact, the, one of the first times I ever saw these guys was uh, my girlfriend, who was was my first wife, um, up when she was at college when they were still a punk band. Uh, and I remember seeing them and then her declaring that she didn't like them anymore because they had turned to this hip hop thing. Uh, and they are just remarkable watching their growth. I mean, they went from changing hip hop and making hip hop uh, interesting on MTV to the innovations that just drove everybody in the industry. I mean, their last two albums were just as incredible as the middle and as the first ones, they still had that shockwave effect. Um, and it's just, it's sad to see them go, you know, I mean, it's fighting cancer. It's you'd rather die of old age. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I can't say I'm not a huge sort of urban music rap fan, Although that music made it approachable. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that says about my, my likes, but they were the transition piece that were allowed me to say, hey, this is kind of cool. And it added a lot of stuff to my, my library and a lot of the bands they toured with wound up in my music library as well. Yeah. So. All right. Anybody else want to say anything about the, the BC Boys in general or that whole thing? Well, it's sabotage. <laughs> Very well done. All I gotta say. Very sabotage. well done. Um, all right. On to more AV-centric things. Um, this week, uh, one of the guys that we do some stuff with, we have a, a daily show with Gary K. from Rave Publications, and he wrote a blog post called Of Mice and Smartboards, and Jeremy, we'll, we'll leave the Jeremy part out for later. But the Smartboards part is important because the founders of Smart, Techs, uh, Smart Technologies stepped down this week. And according to Gary, they stepped down, uh, maybe not at the right time, but he gave an idea. Uh, Don, his idea is this, is instead of selling hardware, instead of selling the actual whiteboards and the actual smart boards, whoever takes over um, for the gang, uh, or the gang, it was was the the husband and wife team, um, whoever takes over for, for David and Nancy should basically license the technology. Because the whole idea of the smart board has been commoditized. And so they should go to Sony and they should go to Epson and they should go to whoever else and say, you know what? You guys are already incorporating something like this into your projectors. So why don't you take ours, which is an industry, I'm not going to call it a standard, but it's, it's, you know, it's a market leader and incorporate it into what you're already doing. Does that make sense to you? Um, yeah, it actually does. And, uh, you know, frankly, if you are in a position that you can effectively leverage a technology you already own and license it out, I mean, that's a sweet gig if you can get it. You know, we, you know, we were talking about this. I, I attended a little trade show yesterday uh, hosted by one of our, our AV distributors, and they, you know, highlighted the te- technologies they had. And in one of the classes, they mentioned they were talking about different um, technology. It was, it was a class on AVB. But they mentioned at Cobranet, you know, it was originally developed. It was a proprietary technology developed by a company called Peak. Mm-hmm. And the smartest thing they did was they licensed it out. And now the folks at Peak and, and the people that bought them, and I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head, they just sit back and collect checks every time 
a new piece of audio equipment comes out running CobraNet, cha-ching, in their pocket. So, it, it, you know, if, if the folks at Smart could actually do that and leverage that, that the other AV companies out there, the other manufacturers, the big names would buy their technology and just incorporate it, it's brilliant. I mean, that's that's the way to get a recurring revenue stream. It's, you know, something that we've all been talking about. I've been preaching about it on my blogs and articles for a while now. You know, we're a knowledge industry. Make money off of your knowledge. Don't make the stuff. So, you know, it's – can I jump in? Yeah, I was actually going to go to you, so go ahead. Perfect. Well, this is a product that I've actually sold and installed. And, again, being Canadian, we, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, oh, there's it, no joke it, there. Don't force it. I, I know. I was trying for a step back and then no. Um, it, it's been a good product, but even a couple of years ago when they started selling mounts and all this other stuff, it became one of those things where I look back at it uh, with some of my local people here and said, you know, what are, what are they doing? This is the wrong direction to be going into, pushing the hardware so heavily. Smart boards as the board, the standalone piece of gear is really not that impressive. Like it's, it's cool stuff. It works well, but it's not that it's just not that amazing unless you put it with the actual software. And when you put it with the software, it becomes a whole another game having worked in, you know, classrooms that have both, or sorry, that have both smart boards and traditional interactive whiteboards it's definitely the smart technology software that makes it to you so much more effective. And I, I've just never understood why they pushed and pushed and pushed to, you know, as I said, start making mounts and all this other, all this other stuff and trying to, you know, make smart branded projectors and stuff opposed to just, as Don said, licensing this stuff out. Sure. Still make your board, still make as much stuff as you want to make, but if you licensed it out, I'd be shocked if every other major interactive whiteboard uh, manufacturer didn't hop on board and buy your software because it is just that good. Well, it isn't part of it, George, to, to Matt's point, why why would they stay on, on the, the hardware side? Isn't there like a margin somewhere where you've got to either, you know, make so much stuff and continually innovate or try to go down the road of, of software and you've got, you know, these, these guys have investors. And one of the things that Gary's in Gary's post was the fact that these guys IPO'd at like 16 bucks a share. Their one year high was 10 bucks. And as of last check, they were trading about a two fifty. <laughs> so you've got, you know, you've got investors to, to worry about. And, you know, maybe one of the things, the reason that that they stepped down when they did was because you know what they they realized hey you know what we're we're not making this happen for whatever reason uh, maybe they were going down the the manufacturing road and and they just didn't have whatever it was to make the software side work yeah that's the impression I actually got when I was first reading it and they said they were stepping down and the article at least connected it for me in my head that that it, as it was going down maybe they weren't going in a direction that the rest of the company or the VPs or whatever wanted to go. And they just kept that straight line, which could have been a good business model. And as you said, there's that ratio, how many units do I have to sell at what price to make money 
with all the costs and labor and overhead and raising and prices of materials, et cetera, right? Yeah. Um, and it goes back to something that Fred Wilson, the uh, one of the venture capitalists out there that who I read a lot, who says he just hates hardware. You know, I had once had a conversation with him at a party quickly where he, he learned that I was working at that time for a company that manufactures stuff. He goes, oh, yeah, hardware. Nah, I'm not so much into that. And he just like ended the conversation because they really are looking just for that universal product. And I think the market is looking for that as well at times. Although I would ask – um, possibly even Don and and Matt that you know it, there's still a place for that hardware right I mean there's still a place for those smaller educational facilities that really want the the one piece of hardware and I don't mean to say that they're still using the overhead projector but it's that model of there's a use for it it stays there that's what they want and it's within the right price range no Don oh yeah and and, um, and I would go ahead Matt no I, I was just yeah, I would totally agree that it is there. Now, granted, you know, smart boards are not cheap. Um, if no. you price them out, they're, it's, it's not like they're a cheap product. But, yes, there's definitely a need for the hardware. But my concern is that once you take out the actual smart board and the software, they can go buy a projector anywhere they want. They can go buy a mount anywhere they want, and they can buy it much cheaper than the smart branded stuff. So again, it becomes that whole thing of having hardware is good, and I I still think they need to make it because is there a major difference between interactive whiteboards? No, not really. But is theirs very good? Yes, it is. And it does become that whole thing of, yeah, still make it, but if you were just to license your software, you would help your company a whole lot more. Uh, again, it's that whole BlackBerry type thing. They made it. It yeah, was I kinda, awesome. I kind of agree. I agree with you on that. You know, I'm not, I haven't studied smart all that much at all, but it seems like they're going through some sort of internal identity crisis where, you know, even if you were to ask my mother, um, what's a smart board, she has this image in her head and it's the hardware when she's really actually thinking software, she just doesn't realize it yet because she's not techie. And I think smart was the same way. They're like, what are we if we're not our hardware? And so they sort of have been going down this road that's not really been profitable because at some point the idea, the basic idea of their product, and that is the hardware that everybody thinks of became a commodity. But I've heard from everyone that the software is really where it's at. So I think there's a, a lot of, to what you just said, Matt Scott. Thank you. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. And what I was going to say is, you know, you can't write off hardware entirely. I mean, anytime I've written off a piece of hardware in this industry so far, it eventually has come back around and, and surprised me that it still exists. And case in point, again, yesterday I was at this little mini trade show for, for a distributor. One of the uh, booths that was there was Elmo, and they're still making <laughs> vis visual presenters. Sesame you know, Street I, I was there? Holy cow. Like My kid was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> was he signing his book? Yes. <laughs> El Elmo, the creator of the visual presenter, the, you know, the manufacturer of the visual presenter, you know, back back when I started in this industry, every conference room and boardroom we put in had a visual presenter. Mm -hmm. And then they just kind of went away. I mean, that just, you know, who uses those anymore? Education. Well, That's who uses do, it. Apparently. Yeah. Education. Yeah. And and so especially if you're focused on the education market, which, hello, smart board is, mm. um, it, you know, there, there's always going to be a place for that, that legacy, in our view, legacy hardware but they still need it. They still use it regularly. And I, I don't doubt at all, even with the whiteboards and the projectors, that they still have, you know, us, the, the little film strip projectors in some schools going. 
you know, until they can get those film strips digitized or, or put, put onto video, they're still using those and projecting them on the whiteboard that, instead mm. of the screen that they used to use. You know, I mean, it, it, it's the hardware is not going to go away, particularly in the education market. But if if smart is smart and lives up to their name, they will take advantage of the licensing thing because, again, it's recurring revenue. What are we all chasing? Recurring, recurring revenue. revenue. And, you know, it, it, it just seems like a no-brainer that people will just pay you to use your brain. Take the money. <laughs> I wish somebody would pay me to use my brain. I really do. But what, Here's my question. Though. Are they looking at, like, selling a software package that runs off of a PC or can be, you know, a smart board inside, but just use their PC, not the hardware, with a projector so that you're doing it at a desk with a tablet type thing? Or are we talking something else? Well, I, I think it, it, it's one of those things where if they sold it as – because, again, the big plus of SmartBoard is their smart notebook software. That's, that's what it is. And if they – I've actually – I've got a copy on the MacBook I'm talking or I'm using right now. And I even sometimes to this day still use it without any smart products just because the kind of – presentation type you can do with it is very uh not found anywhere else you can't do the stuff you can do in smart notebook that you can do in you know powerpoint or, or keynote or something like that so uh, yeah it, they could literally i i think they could license it and sell it to everyone else who makes an interactive whiteboard um as well as just as a standalone kind of education presentation type software almost Hmm. But is that is that asking people to be tied too much into one one brand channel? I mean, is that because it's proprietary like that? I, I don't know because it, again, to be honest, I've never actually tried to hook up um, and, and use the input from another device while using a smart software suite. I don't see why you couldn't. It makes sense that you could, but I haven't tried it myself. Okay. Uh, but you know, it, again, it's one of those things, every teacher I've ever talked to who has used, um, any of the, the smart software piece of equipment and even students that have, they all love it because it's literally, it's kind of like PowerPoint word and Excel all wrapped into one that you can present with and, and do things with. So even one of my customers, um, she goes to a, a private French school here. And they use smart and I was updating some stuff on our computer, saw it and went, Oh cool. You, you guys use smart. Do you like it? And she's like, Oh yeah, it's so much better for all this other stuff. We do all our presentations in it. I'm like, really, you don't use anything else. Do you use it on a smart board or do you just do it on a projector sometimes? And for her, it didn't matter what they were doing. It was just the easiest thing for her to use. Hmm. That makes sense. And that probably also comes down to what you're used to and what you learn on and stuff like that. So, Exactly. All right. Well, speaking of proprietary stuff, let's talk about Apple for a second. Um, if you've got an Apple TV, and I've, I've been lucky enough, to, a very nice gentleman uh, gave me one, and uh, it was at first I was a little leery about it, uh, but it's a very nice product. Uh, it's the size of a hockey puck, uh, even though that's painful for me to talk about right now. Hockey in general, being a St. Louis Blues fan, um, Matt, hockey is a sport that was spawned from Canada, just in case you didn't know what that was. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. It actually has that... a lot in common with curling. 
but it's faster. But it's faster, yes. Well, and, and the fighting. puck is smaller. There's fighting. Uh, and there's fighting, yes. I, I watch yeah, um, fighting. But, <laughs> so... Um, so Apple TV has got a bunch of really cool channels, and then they're third-party channels. Uh, stuff like the NBA, uh, you can get on there. The NHL package, you can get on there. Uh, Major League Baseball, you can get the entire season on there. Uh, you've got Netflix on there. You've got a bunch of stuff. And this week, they announced that they are in talks with Epix, which is another streaming service. The one cool thing and the one thing about the announcement is this wording right here. Epix is in talks to put its movie service on its current set-top box, quote-unquote, and upcoming devices that stream content. Upcoming devices, Mr. Matt Scott, that stream content. What else would be upcoming? Is this... My my direct question to you is, is this the... Um, the 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 back doorway of Apple admitting that there's a TV on the way. It may be, but at the same time, it may be something that they're talking about putting on the new iPhone. It's Apple. They hide and convolute everything as much as possible. Maybe point where I'm tired of trying to determine when a TV is going to come out. <laughs> Oh, come on. So maybe. Maybe. Well, I said maybe. All right. Well, I don't even think it's going to be a mobile device because they'd have to – that would be an epic, to, to turn a phrase, um, a way of dealing with all of the, 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 the restrictions on mobile devices that most of this content has. So I would think that it has to be something along the lines of an Apple TV. I'm going to go out of limb here. Or like, they've made a monumental change to how the industry works by some hook and crook. Which is not impossible Apple- for them doing. Because Apple's never done anything monumentally to change an industry, a.k.a. <laughs> iTunes, a.k.a. iPod, a.k.a. Apple yeah, but TV, they, for heaven's they, sake. They do one monumental think, for breakfast. One would think that you would hear murmurs of this on different levels, on the legal level. You'd hear about entertainment law changing and things shaking up. Okay. I haven't, and I, and I read, and I'll look, I'm not in that vein, but I do read journals of those veins at times, and none of that, to my knowledge, has come across. Well, and, and not, the, not for nothing, but 12 years ago, I didn't hear any, any rumblings about, you know, stuff changing around Apple and, and iTunes and, and the iPod, although I wasn't but paying attention 10 years ago. Well, yeah, true. But you were, you did see stuff back then. I recall the, distinctly hearing about record labels uh, being excited for a legal option to destroy Napster. That was the big talk. Uh, okay. And that legalese talk, if you were paying attention, could have led you to believe that, ah, this could be where everyone's going to funnel it because they really want to kill off the, the, the pirating. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. It's, you know, again, it could be one of those things where it could be the fabled Apple, the actual Apple TV screen device product thing. Um, or it, it could be Apple pushing everything to mobile and, you know, iPad and stuff like that and making something that's proprietary. Again, this, this would be right up Apple's alley to make something that's proprietary and uh, dependent completely on an Apple ecosphere that they've somehow pushed through something. I'm not saying it's happening. It's just this is what they do. They make things that we would never think could happen happen. That's true, because one of the things, actually, I, I kind of groused about this last week on, on last week's AV Week. Um, the one complaint I have about having an, an, an iPad is that 
there are certain sites that go to that swear to me that I'm on an I'm on a mobile device and I'm trying to tell it that I'm not, you know, because I want to watch Hulu or I want to watch a, a particular YouTube channel. And, you know, that particular YouTube channel had, doesn't have the mobile option enabled. And you know what? You know what? I'm, I'm sitting here with a freaking a nine inch screen in my lap. It's not a mobile device. And so I, I can see kind of where Matt's going with that. So yeah. I, I would be happy to just get the errors that say you're not you're on a mobile device opposed to the this content cannot be played back due to content country restrictions. I see. I don't get that. So. <laughs> yeah. It's because you're not in Canada. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was so smug. It's not even funny. So. Oh, I could see the smirk on your face. <laughs> why, why don't you just do what they did in the old days with the XM radio? Get an address in Buffalo and register it there or Michigan. Well, that's what we keep planning. To yeah, do, see? It's the, I think, no, or it's New the, York. I, I mean, I know a guy in New York. You could probably use his address, you know. I, I have an address in New York. <laughs> well, then why don't you use that? Because the billing address is not the issue. For everything uh, network-based, it's all IP config. Oh, there and are servers you can bounce off of, um, that of our, at least that I've heard and rumored, supposedly. Not that I've ever done that before. There are. <laughs> yeah, no. There are ways to do it, but they're – like Hulu, for example – is so good if we get a solution that works, it'll work for all of two, three days before they've defeated it. Really? Again. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, it's similar, but not really. Uh, we're going to talk some more about, about online video and stuff. And this is um, all of us here because we all do this and NC works for, for rave pubs and, and we all make podcasts and we all live online and our content lives online. This to me is a cool thing and somewhat scary at the same time. Uh, this is from The Verge. And it's a, it's a story that says that the Discovery Channel is buying a company called Revision 3 for $30 million. <laughs> um, if you've never heard of Revision 3, it's 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 tech-centric, but they do other things as well. They have a, a show in there called Epic Mealtime. Uh, one of their more famous shows is a, it's a show called Techzilla. It's a weekly um, video podcast-like about technology. It's it's with um, um, oh Robert Heron and Patrick Norton and uh, uh, Veronica Belmont. And it's a company started by a guy by the name of, of Kevin Rose uh, a number of years ago, and it, Kevin Rose has gone on to other things as well. But he, here's where I'm going to go with this, guys. Um, NC, the Discovery is not a small company. It's not NBC, Universal, slash cast, you know, Comcast, but it's still not a small company. $30 million is nothing mm-hmm. to sneeze at. Um, is this a good thing for guys and gals like us? who create online and live online or is this dinosaur uh, media guys squashing us <laughs> little by little uh, it's hard to say it depends on what they do with it yeah um <laughs> i now, I, I, real, before you go that way, real quickly, it, the article did say that it will retain the approximately 50 employees that work at Revision 3, but that's a press release, and we all know how that goes sometimes. <laughs> I'm not In New being York, pessimistic. They have, they have a lot of, 
In New York, they have a lot of windows that get covered saying undergoing renovations. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead and see us. I, I didn't mean to, buy, to to sidetrack there. But they did say at least on the face that they'll keep the 50 people right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess I see the move as more of them trying to stay relevant. I mean, they're doing sort of what AV is trying to do, or what I guess maybe what AV Social and some other aspects of um, the AV industry are trying to do, which is to stay relevant and to do whatever it takes to get there. Um, I, I like the idea that they are trying to move into this new field, maybe um, – uh, project their identity into uh, an arena that they've really been pushed out of because of, you know, most traditional media's um, slowness to uh, move with the way the rate that technology has been going. Uh, but at the same time, like all things, if you don't, if you don't have a game plan for, for what you're going to do, regardless of whether, you know, the original content that's on re- revision three, um, whether it will stay there or not, I, I just I really can't say for sure yeah. um, until I find out a little bit more about it. I don't know. How do you all feel about it? <laughs> it's just a weird. It's a weird thing to me. Well, it really is. I, and I agree with with that, NC, because of all the people that could buy Revision Three. Discovery is not right. one that, that I would have. Exactly. I would have seen. So I. I I mean, and, and so, well, so my question to them is: I know I saw a lot in the comments. People were sort of, uh, are they going to keep the? I really, really just love this. What's the food one that you were talking the about? Epic the epic meal time. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh man, if they just get rid of meal time, going to be the saddest panda in all the land. And I was like, ah, but it's, ah, I just maybe I think they're going to keep it around for a second, see how it works. Maybe this is like an alien species buying something, coming in, taking over a planet, seeing how it works, and then seeing what they can do um, to join in on that arena and get better. And in the meantime, the little, um, the little, you know, native animals to that planet can continue to thrive until they either figure a way to live, to coexist with it or, or push themselves out and, and replace them. I mean, I guess, Time will tell, and I think it's uh, in a very weird sci-fi way. A lot of what the uh, AV industry um, has to deal with, too, um, on a number of occasions, with moving into new arenas, staying current as you know, IT and other um, similar industries, but you know, are are sort of encroaching, depending on how you look at it. I think NC just got Island of Doctor Moreau all over us, you know, kind of splicing animals together, and um, so George is. You know, it's Friday. Yeah, is it, George? Should I expect to see Epic Meal Time on you know the fifth iteration of Discovery Channels because they have like five or six different you know actual cable channels? Um, right. Or are they just going to you know, like the NC said? NC said you know just kind of see how these how these entities coexist together. I think a lot of it has to do with what NC pointed out. Definitely. But I also feel like they, what they've attained. I mean, this has a rabid following and somebody in okay. the comments was worried that it would turn out to be a tech TV slash G4 transition, which I also hope it's not. And I am among the people who love this channel because well, there's such good content real quickly. They have 16 yes. million uh, uniques a month. That's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, sixteen nothing million. I mean, a cable, a cable channel. Okay, so give you an idea. The Today Show. All right, the Today Show was still one of the more popular, you know, morning shows. Two to three million viewers. Okay, 
They have 16 million people. <laughs> they have eight times as many. Of dedicated, yes. hardcore fans that will read everything, listen to everything. Definitely. Uh, and part of my thing is I think Discovery Channel has partially lost its way in the last year or two, or at least for a core audience like me who went to it because it was about science and about you know cool stuff in history and, and all that kind of thing. Um, and then they had that moment where they, they did the surveys. If I remember, uh, I did an upfront a couple of years ago for Discovery, and they were talking about surveys where the moms thought it was the war channel. And that sort of marked the turn where um, Discovery and things like TLC – became not the learning channel, but TLC. So they're looking for content on two levels. I think you're going to see a, tra- I think personally you're going to see a transition between um, revision three content making its way onto the discovery channel or subsidiary channels that they may want to be starting or filling and content will flow back and forth. If they're smart, they'll keep that core audience with its niche material, but bring some of it over into the mainstream. And I think getting a foothold both in the webosphere of, um, uh, of broadcasting and getting some of that content onto broadcast TV, as it were, cable, is going to be a win for them. Just let's hope they don't do a Leo Laporte and, you know, oust the, the most important people of the network. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so, so yeah. Don, are, is um, it go, – go ahead. Oh, what were you going to ask me? Go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. You, you were going to say something. I don't want to, I don't want to box it. So. Well, um, I was just going to say, you know, Discovery Networks, they're – headquartered here in Maryland. Um, and actually my former AV company, we had a video production division. We did a little bit of light editing for them, but also several of the guys that we trained and had working in our studio eventually quote unquote graduated and went to work for discovery networks. Um, so, you know, it, it, this, this kind of thing is very big news, obviously to me and to my area, to my region here. I think it's a good move if they don't screw it up. Because it really gives them a toehold with an established content provider online into this new disruptive way of broadcasting, this new disruptive media. Um, And it it bodes well if they can leverage it correctly for the future of Discovery Networks overall. And and they, they have varied sometimes their individual channels away from their core audiences. But one thing that the company has been very good at is looking for new opportunities to um, to reach out to potential viewers, to potential customers. Um, you know, that they have the Discovery Channel stores yeah. where they bring, you know, unique products that they're sort of a cross between ThinkGeek and like the museum shop. And, you know, they, they just have these weird, geeky, educational, but cool items at the Discovery stores you know, and, and the same with their channels. You know, at any given time, if there's nothing on "quote unquote" real TV, you can flip to one of the dis- Discovery channels and find, you know, how it's made, or MythBusters, or, mm-hmm. or or Shark Week, or what, whatever might happen to be on the particular channel you flip to, and you just find something of interest, of education that you, you don't really think of as, edu- you know, it's entertainment or edutainment. You know, edutainment, and it really it, edutainment. Yeah, it just brings a new a new view to people learning and i think by reaching out on on the internet and partnering with somebody that's already established they don't have to reinvent the wheel they're going to reach out to new audiences that way they'll have new content flowing in like like you all said and i i I just think as long as they don't screw up the transition this could be a major major bonus you know beautiful move on their part yeah all right matt so the, the the consensus here as long as they don't screw it up it's a good move um, so when is Gary going to get bought for $30 million? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
depends how much we push for it and how big our industry grows. No. It's like anything. As long as the demand's there and people want – or as long as the demand's there and people are consuming the content quickly and effectively, that's when the larger corporations look at it and go, hey, we can you know, be cooler to younger kids or older kids or science geeks or whoever they want to feel that they're not currently providing content for. They can go out and buy and thus provide content for. So – as long as Gary keeps rolling like crazy and keeping everybody happy and making every single person in the tech world want to read his stuff and watch his stuff, then yeah, hopefully soon he'll get bought out by somebody. <laughs> if he wants to be bought out. <laughs> yeah, that's the, I hear Harry, I'm offering out for $30 million, and he's cursing me at this point. What do you mean $30 million? I wanted at least $100 million. All right, uh, you're listening to AV Week uh, with George Tucker, Don Mean, Matt Scott, and NC uh, Nwako. Uh, go back to the to the verge for a second here, folks. Not because they need listeners or, or viewers, just because it's a cool story. Uh, it's actually a story that that uh, rave uh, pubs broke over the weekend. It's a 145 inch 8K plasma display. Awesome. I will say that again. Yeah, freaking <laughs> awesome. A 145 inch 8K plasma display. And next to it is a little cardboard sign that says content wanted. Um, (laughs) Don, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek. It's a cool thing. I mean, it's a great looking display, but isn't that the, the, the Achilles heel of all these really great, super high end displays is there ain't nothing to play on it yet. You are correct, sir. I, you know, I just, the, the old adage for anyone that's ever done marketing or even do it yourself, home publishing, you know, when you're dealing with Photoshop or anything, you can never go from small to large without it looking like crap. <laughs> you can always go from a big resolution to a small, but not the opposite. And that's the problem these, these super displays are going to have for a while um, until you start making the content in giant resolution that can then be scaled down for the normal people. Um it's going to look like crap when you watch it. That said, though, this is a very cool product, and I'm already measuring my living room wall to figure <laughs> out how I can fit that up there because our little 50-inch is looking kind of sad next to this. Uh, all right, George, she needs one of these because she'll have to get three of her 50s to, to match it. Um, <laughs> just like with, with the red stuff, and, and I'll let Matt beat me up about red in a second. Um, I immediately think of, of people like you that, that do live, live events and stuff like that mm-hmm. because it, this sucker is heavy. Um, we talked with, with, um, uh, Tim Schnabel from Extron a few months back and he was, we were talking about the differences between projectors and, and displays. And Tim said he was at Harvard once where they were putting in, I want to say like a hundred inch. And they had to take out walls and ceilings, and it was a big. I mean, mm-hmm. you're paying almost as much for construction as you are the display. So, I immediately think of your wheelhouse when I think of something like this. But do you guys even have anything in the pipeline that would service this for content? Uh, sure. I mean, we've seen stuff where where we do upfronts a lot, and we've seen yeah. stuff that has come in from the the media house that's pretty darn high that we have to down convert and get to, you know, 264, you know, H264. Nothing this high, obviously, but it, it's, it's possible. 
And this is something that we could possibly use, although given the price range right now, uh, competing with, say, LED walls or just, you know, high def projection, depending on the, the what you're using it for, it may only be a niche thing. You know, it wouldn't be something we'd store 16 of to rent out all the time. Um, it, space wise, it might work. But again, putting in LED walls or a projection system tends in our industry to be a far more efficient method because we're not having to do uh, support of the floor or, uh, you know, have to wait you know, do something which makes us wait for the scenic people to finish before we can start mapping our projection. You know, yeah. this kind of stuff would really do that. Uh, it's pretty neat. Uh, my, my last question about it, though, is as I'm reading it, um, my first question was, yes, but does it go to 11? <laughs> nice. And the, the other phrase that caught me was super high vision. I don't know why, but all I keep seeing is a Japanese game show host saying this. Super high vision. Super high. <laughs> With the sound. Super super high. High. <laughs> all right, Mr. Scott. Here's an 8K plasma display for you to slap your red camera up to. It would be amazing. Oh, wait. Your camera doesn't do 8K. It only does 4 does any camera do 8K yet? No, but <laughs> exactly. So I mean, but I would hey, still I had... test it. <laughs> Go ahead, Don. I had a thought. Yes. Just buy one of these puppies, put it up on the wall, and get one of those nice little, you know, uh, uh, screen splitter dealies that you got up there, and put, you know, like you said, three fifty-inch displays at regular resolution, or mm-hmm. you could put a whole bunch of stuff. You don't need a wall of monitors anymore. We just put this on the living room. We can watch three or four channels at once. You know, every person in the house get their own little headset to listen to whichever audio feed you want, and this would be like the ultimate pimp home theater system. Oh yeah, pop it into a like a multi viewer and just yeah. go to town. Yeah, if I mean multi viewer yes. that does anything close to what this thing can handle though, even in the uh, small the, quadrants. The, the, the Crestron uh, DM thing won't do this, but it, you could split it up into the into the four different quadrants. The, oh, the yeah, you can HD do, version you, of it. You, yeah, you could do DM. You could get like a nice little Echo Labs toy. Anything, you know, whatever. And- <laughs> And it's and it's way easier to convince those guys to build a little box to make this work with multiple streams at once than it is to try to convince all of the big production companies out there to suddenly start making 8K content. You know, yeah. until the 8K content comes along, that's a solution. Well, that's my my issue yeah, with no. all these guys. I mean, it, red aside, and then, then the red laser projector we talked about last week is really cool. Um, uh, it, there is no content, and it, it's a chicken and an egg question and i guess matt we'll start with you on that who who should drive what i mean years ago it used to be said that that microsoft you know built their their operating system in hopes that the the processor would eventually catch up and then the processors bypassed what microsoft was doing and so it was a back and forth should it be the content creators or should it be the display guys who, who go first I would love to see it be the display guys. Well, that's um, what it is. Which it is. And the only reason I say that is because the content providers are, you know, they're they're doing what they can and they're continually making stuff, but they still don't make things as quick or as fast or as sexy as they want to. I, I always kind of feel that they almost need a goal of something to shoot for. And as soon as, you know, 4K was first announced, and hey, we can do 4K. And then I do remember being at the the first NAB show when Red brought its first 4K camera, and 
like the lineups that we see at Infocom for a product reveal or Cedia for a product reveal have absolutely nothing Mm-mm. on a NAB lineup, especially red. Um, I, I remember seeing the lineup and it was just thousands of people long three days after it was already released. Um, so I do kind of feel that the content guys need something to shoot for. That being said, you know, it, it is a, a give and take and, you know, we can even kind of real quickly spin this back to 3d. Everybody's made 3d products and TVs and computer monitors are now the, the next rumor and stuff, but how many, you know, real 3d films are there still out there that you can actually go buy? You know, how many shows can you watch live on cable in 3d? It's still very, very minimum yet. We've had 3d for what? Three, four years now, almost as almost a standard, especially in the higher end uh, screens and whatnot. So as they build 8k and, you know, continue to build 4k stuff and make 4k more affordable, that's when we'll finally start to see it because it's just as George says, when you get something from an art house or something and it's a super high res, nobody cares because it's all going to be down converted. So, so you can actually play the sucker back until we have the product that it can be displayed on. Why would the creators go and work so hard um, to, to produce something in 8K when no one will ever see it. Or it'll be a long time sense? before. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. It makes complete sense. Yeah. Like, it, like what, what we produce today in, say, Cinema 4D would be awesome if it's in 4K, or sorry, if it's in 8K, but when it's another five years before anyone can actively play back something on a standard type system in 8K, what they produce today will look pathetic compared to what they'll produce down the road. Yeah. Like even just watching, you know, the first animated Blu-ray that came out and was readily available that compared to the animation quality of a movie you go pick up today is night and day. And they're not that old. Yeah. Yeah. They're what? Five or six years old. So yeah. True. 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 All right. Let's delve into the world of press releases because uh, if you've ever listened to this show, you'll know that I hate them. Um, but they do serve an evil purpose from time to time, and that is to get to talk about some stuff. Uh, This comes to us from AMX. AMX has uh, announced that uh, they are giving their dealers a quote-unquote lock in wireless control network security with the IT audience. Basically, what they've done is AMX has cozied up to Cisco. And if I had a little playback machine, this is where the Imperial March would start playing because, you know, Cisco is the evil <laughs> empire. Um, basically, it's their, it's their MVP 9000i touch panels. And these touch panels have earned what uh, Cisco is calling the Cisco Compatible Extensions Version 4 certification. Uh, straight from the press release is this certification ensures that the MVP 9000i is in, uh, interoperable with a Cisco wireless LAN infrastructure and has met the Wi-Fi Alliance's WPA, WPA2 specification addressing wireless network security, performance, reliability, diagnostics, and network statistics gathering. Um, George, 
Is this, and it sounds like a, a fine product, is this AMX using Cisco and this certification as kind of another way to get in uh, to the, the IT guy's uh, backyard? Or is this, a, is this an honest-to-goodness, you know, good thing for them to go after um, to incorporate all the IT AV conversions that's going on? I think it's actually an excellent excellent thing if it works you know the first thing i thought if it works reading uh, that, yeah. <laughs> right well that first thing you were reading i mean it's cisco so it should work but the first my first thought was your results may vary please check with your doctor <laughs> um but <laughs> but how many times if you've done commercial and i'll say that to all these commercial guys listening how many times have you tried to put in a wireless product automation system and you get the it guy going not on my network yeah i don't even know what that is what does it do no and you hear the mantra, not on my network, get your own network, have them run something else. This is some kind of way to get as a doorway in or, or you know, foot in the door saying, look, it's Cisco certified. Look, it's going to be fine. It's secure. There you go. And therein lays a layer of confidence so they can say, OK, at least I can trust that. I'm a VPN. I may even do a NAT to it, you know, a network address translation. So it's completely off my normal network, but it can still live on the same wires. There you go. And I think that was an excellent, excellent thing to do. I'm not sure how much it cost them, but I hope it returns for them because this should get your corporate, you know, Fortune 500 guys going. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. You got me. Hmm. That's a good. That's a good point, Don. Is is that enough to, you know, get the the IT guy off your back? Or um, a lot of guys, and, and I'm a part of the te- te- technology managers council uh, for Infocom. A lot of my contemporaries, they work in the IT department. And so you've already got guys who are familiar with Cisco, are Cisco certified, have got this this cert and that cert. They're already in the Cisco camp. This helps them understand, you know, uh, my contemporaries' bosses understand, well, you know, it's, it's Cisco, so it's all good. Um, yeah, that, that's really the, the benefit of it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the, the product doesn't work any better or worse than it did before it got this little magic seal of approval. However, getting that little magic seal of approval opens incredible amounts of doors and incredible amounts of minds to the idea of using the AMX products in, you know, the the campus or the office building or the agency that previously would be closed. I mean, the reality is we're post-convergence. We have mm-hmm. to play nice with the IT guys. And, and in a lot of cases, I mean, and again, I, I was at the show yesterday. A couple of the companies there started in the IT world, and they said AV to them is black magic. We, we do this voodoo stuff, and they don't understand it. When you give them something that they understand, they love you, and they want to use it. And that's what they want to use and nothing else because they don't get the whole black magic that we do otherwise, and they're kind of scared of it. So, you know, just by jumping through the hoops that Cisco put in front of them, AMX just took a huge leap forward in, in getting that market to buy into their product and their, and their capabilities. And, and again, you know, th- this 9000i MVP deal is probably the same exact 9000, 9000i that they were selling before. It just like suddenly has that map. Magic, you know, the, the the heavens have opened and the ray of light <laughs> shone down upon them, and and the choir of angels struck up, and now it is IT approved because Cisco said yes. Cisco, and and, and God bless AMX for doing it. You know, I, 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 I one of 
one of the first things I said when I started at my new company here was, you have a couple of Cisco certifications, put that crap on your website and put it in all your brochures because that's what's going to get you in the door. And AMX did that in this case, and God bless them. Uh, NC, is there is there a downside maybe um, for them? They're not marrying themselves to Cisco. They're not getting bought out by them by any stretch of the imagination. But they're at least going down the road of courting them if we want to keep the romantic theme going uh to the to the extent that they're saying you know what we're we're at least going to make this product and at least you know see how this goes for us is there a, a downside to them doing this um i can't see how it could possibly be bad for them um i think i think don hit the nail on the head they they need that cisco sort of brand on their records more than I maybe Cisco needs them. I can't really say for sure, but I feel like them getting their foot in, inside the door gives, opens up a, a, a huge range of opportunities for them once they do want to expand and maybe divorce themselves from that. I mean, at least now people can say, oh, here's this brand I, I, I recognize. And so maybe I should just you know, go ahead through some transitive property, put all that confidence I had in Cisco and, and I have it in, in you as well. So I, I feel like it gives them an opportunity to in the future better stand on their own um, once they do decide to, um, you know, make some product that doesn't have the, the Cisco brand on it per se. So I, I can't see a downside right now. That makes sense. Mr. Scott, is this, I mean, you're, you're not a, a Cisco guy. You're not an AMX guy either. So, um, but does this is this something that you see other guys doing? Um, whether that's Lutron or Crestron or AMX or Extron, rather. I I I do just because you know as much love love or hate Cisco, they are synonymous or they're they're what everyone knows and what everyone thinks of when mm-hmm. it comes to the network. If you're putting in a network and it's anyone who knows anything about networking. They don't care if it's the next best, you know, Netgear or whatever. If it doesn't say Cisco on the box, they, as a rule, don't want it. Yeah. Everything is Cisco. So the fact that, you know, Amex went ahead and did this, I think, again, is, is very good. It, it makes us more a part of what the IT guys are doing and incorporate that is probably the biggest deal out there as Don was alluding to it. It's good. I, I'm, I will not be surprised at all if, you know, come this time next year, uh, Extron and, um, you know, Crestron are, I don't want to say in bed, but have a lot of Cisco compatible and officially proven products. Because again, that that's where it's all going. If you're putting something in a boardroom or in a large scale office building, they're already running a Cisco backbone. So why come in and put a completely separate Crestron backbone when you could have just two big Cisco backbones yeah. and be out the door? That so I, that that's where I see it going. All right, Cisco takes over the world once again. Um, boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, we're going to go over a couple different blogs just because they both piqued my interest. Uh, the first one is from Jason Knott from CE Pro. And he asks the question. Uh, he says that he makes the statement, and I'm going to ask you guys the question. He says, service is not 
a marketing expense. Um, a blog post comes from a different couple different uh, polls that they did of, of from their integrators. And basically, they found out that um, these guys are not charging for, let's say, small incidental service calls. Uh, the idea is that um, you know these service calls take less than an hour and that if the customer was charged for the service call, then they wouldn't uh, recommend the integrator. You know, vis-a-vis, they don't, they don't recommend them. Then that's, you know, then the cost of me doing business is marketing. Um, NC is, should things like this, and let's just say that they're small, you know, the, the cable was unplugged. Um, should that be considered, you know, a, a marketing expense, or should these guys, honest to good, you know, honestly, uh, charge for for the work that's being done? I think you should charge for the work that's being done. I mean, unless, I mean, to to me, it, it almost looks kind of sketchy if you're like, oh, you know, anytime we have to come back after we've done this installation or this this project, um, it, it'll be free of charge. I'm either thinking, I, well. I guess the way it seems to me is like, are you expecting this to break? Cause you're going to be coming back. I mean, if it's like, you know, I think the, the article mentioned, if it's, if it's something simple, like it, it's something went some freak of, you know, nature thing went wrong and you have to come back and, you know, screw in a screw or, or, you know, fix a wire or something like that. Okay. That can be free of charge. But if you're actually doing something where you're putting some expertise that is not ubiquitous, uh, and, and you're employing that in a service call, then you should definitely charge for it. It makes me, it, to me as a consumer, it would make me feel um, like I was actually getting a service and not that somebody was fixing a piece of, of, of junk. Um, and especially if you're doing install or upgrades and, and adding things or taking things away, that, that's not, that's, not intuitive work and all uh, company and it, and it uh, will, I think it will give people a reason to talk about the great job that you did later instead of saying, Oh, well, you know, they just, you know, fix something that was broken to begin with. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, that just seems like the message that comes across when you don't charge for it. That That's a good point. Matt is, uh, do you charge? I should, I should ask you this straight up. Do you charge for every little uh, thing like that? Or is it, you know, um, do you use, your service calls as, as marketing. Are you ready for my Switzerland answer? Oh Lord. Yes and no. <laughs> we you're, do you're, we you're in Canada. It, it's, I know, but it's, yeah, I know, but we still went to war. So okay, you, yeah. you gotta do what you gotta. They both speak a um, version of French, don't they? No, German. I, I, I don't. <laughs> <know>. <laughs> um, for most things, yes, we do charge. Uh, that being said, you know, if we put in a system, they all come with warranties. We warranty our work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thus, if something that we put in is not working or there's a faulty, uh, an issue, something like that. Yeah. We'll go back. We'll assess it. If it's something that falls under that warranty. Yeah. We do it under the warranty. We don't charge for it. And, and it is good marketing. If it's something as simple as, you know, the housekeeper, was cleaning, you know, the, the cabinet and decided she'd open the back of the cabinet and try and, you know, put a Swiffer over everything and knocked a, <laughs> a, an HDMI cable loose or something that has happened. 
Um, you know, I feel bad going back and charging for something that small, especially if it's something that was put in, you know, three weeks ago, because at that point, just like NC said, the customer ends up feeling like you're nickel and diming them for every little thing when they just paid X amount of money and your system is not working. Um, but again, if it's, if it's something where, you know, literally the client got in, got into the cabinet and decided he wanted to play around and got it, you know, something, so it was not working or functioning properly. We'll come back as soon as we go, Hey, Mr. Homeowner, have you been playing around it in here? And, you know, he hangs his head and goes, yes, that's when we say, well, we'll fix this. We'll get you up and running, but we've got to bill you for this. I know. <laughs> and, you know, for stuff like that, yeah, we, we always charge. So, it, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was, I was about to say, though, uh, uh, pardon me for interrupting, but um, is that not also a time for marketing? You know when you're going in, hey, this might be an opportunity for me to say, yeah, I know it's going to happen here most likely, but I'm also going to bring the newest panel or some new little app that I think you might like and say, while I'm here, did you see this while I'm fixing this? Take a look at this. Tell me what you think of it. I just got it. I want a end user's opinion. And that him going, oh, this is nifty. How much is it? That's your opportunity. Now, that being said, the way that I have always tried to have it constructed and the way I've always done it, even on the commercial side here where, where we used to do big museum installs was you have a base charge. You would like to buy this package. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get X amount of hours for this month monthly fee. So you're going to get a monthly fee of X amount of dollars a month and you're going to get me for five hours a month or whatever that, that sum is. Anything over that will be charged at this pro rate, blah, 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 blah. And then you make all these exclusions. If you've damaged it, you've done it. You put a ball peen hammer into the, into the 50 inch plasma because you didn't like the outcome of the game. Those are <laughs> definitely chargeable. But those give you opportunities to go, no, no, we're not going to take that off. And you come off not only is the good guy, but it also knows that when you go there, you're going to be also marketing and being customer service so that you could charge. You've got that monthly base fee anyway. If you're not always charging for it, it makes you sound like there's a nice relationship. And you are not, as we, some of us said earlier, you're not a consumer. They're not a customer. They're a client. Exactly. And I was going to say, isn't, that, that, isn't what you're talking about, though, a service contract? Yes, but that's the way you approach them. You say, look, most of the time I'm not going to want to charge you for certain things, but if you have this protection, I will be there. I will have a guy there. This is why we sell this. This is why you are guaranteed that when I always come, I will always do my best, but you know, you've got a monthly fee. That's priority. That's what everybody wants. I'm special. It, it, it's something where you know, if you're designing the system and you build that in, it's great and customers love it. If they don't want it and they don't want a service plan, we have a lot of residential customers who don't want service plans because honestly, once we're, once we've been in their house for a month or so, or so they don't want to see us again for a while, <laughs> as much as they like us, especially if they're doing a large reno, they want you out the door and they don't want anybody coming back, whether it's you, the AV guy or someone else. That being said, I was actually at a client's house last night and he made me dinner. And that was one of the first times I've ever had a client actually make me dinner but I enjoyed it. What, um, what did he make? I had a medium rare steak and corn on the cob. It was fabulous for, for a brand new client, no less. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, he, I, I, I already told him he's up to client number two on the list <laughs> of, of favorite clients. <laughs> We're going to come back a lot more. Um, but no, it's just as George said, those times when we show up and, you know, again, it, it completely, for us, it always, believe it or not, it does completely depend on the client. 
we have clients who are very nitpicky and it doesn't matter what's wrong. They could be watching an SD station. So they have the black bars down the side and they'll get mad and call for a service call. And you, you show up and go, um, what's, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, see, it's, it doesn't look good. And I'm like, cause you're in SD, you're not on an HD channel. Oh, well, I'm very, I'm just, you know, all those kind of little nitpicky issues. And yes, those we, we do charge for because they're annoying as heck and we have to deal with them. Then we have clients that are very, very, very good clients and spend a lot of money with us. And for clients like that, yeah, if we have to show up, you know, one time or drive by their, their house or their business on the way to another job just to check something out for them real quick, will we do that? Of course. And will we charge for that? Not likely because it's not, it's not worth the aggravation, even though that they would pay it in a second. It's not worth the aggravation of, of actually billing them for something that they know that if they need something, they can just call us. We'll just come out. We'll just take care of them. That's the bottom line is you got to take care of your clients. You got to take care of your customers and make sure at the same time you're not short selling yourself. Okay. So Don, the two different things that have kind of cropped up with this. Should you use it as marketing and not charge or should you charge or should you upfront say, you know, here's a service contract, kind of the, 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 the thing that, that George brought up. Uh, something that my buddy Michael Drainer, who who's an integrator here in St. Louis, he swears by this. I mean, he this is like his biggest selling point. Um, when uh, when he does an installation, he says, "Okay, you know, after after the warranty and everything runs out, here's something we can do, and it includes preventive maintenance and, and a bunch of other stuff." It's also a type of marketing too, where you're selling your service and you're putting value to it. Is that right? Um, yeah, and and the answer to both of your questions is yes. <laughs> I mean, just simply <laughs> yes. It, it it you you want to always have your your field techs and your your you know service department guys trained that this is always a marketing opportunity. Always be on your best behavior. If you have a new product or a new thing that you mention or you know show off a little, great. You know, it's it's always anytime you're in front of the customer, it's a marketing opportunity. First of all. But secondly, you know, I, I've always worked – I've never worked for a large integrator. I'm not an ABISPL kind of girl or, you know, those places are great. But I've – my entire career, I've worked for mom and pop AV companies, my old one, my new one, everything in between. They're all little guys. And every one of them without fail, we do exactly what both George and Matt said. And that's we come in and every project has an X number of day warranty with it in a in addition to manufacturer warranties, we offer them right from the get-go a structured service contract or you know service warranty that includes however many visits or how many however many hours of time and you know this many preventive visits and so forth. They can opt to take that right from the start. We also let them know when we offer that. Look, here's how much it is per hour per tech or per engineer or per whatever. If we have to come out for repairs that you know, aren't under service contract or aren't under manufacturer warranty. And even if we do something under manufacturer warranty, that doesn't include deinstall, reinstall, you know, type um, services on behalf of our tax. So all of that is charged for. We make profits from our service department. 
That said, if we happen to be in the neighborhood and working on, you know, this university's system and the hospital next door that we did a system for has an issue, we'll send a guy over to take a look at it for and not charge them. If it turns out to be a big issue that they can't handle right then and there, we will schedule a time to come back and do it as a billable service call or under their warranty. So, you know, you have to have flexibility. You can't just outright say this is a free marketing opportunity or expense or this is every little thing is charged. You have to have that flexibility. But when you show that flexibility and yet you still value your own knowledge and expertise and you still put a value to your time and your your installer's time, that's with the sweet spot. That's where you want to be and you, you'll be able to make a profit that way and still retain the respect and the the caring of your of your customers who you know value the relationship and will refer you anyway even if you're sending them an 80 125 dollar whatever bill for coming out and plugging something in you know yeah. um it's there's no free lunch there's no such thing as free you wouldn't go to your doctor and say hey i just had a physical six months ago and now my back hurts and you're gonna charge me for this <laughs> you know i mean yeah you know, you, you don't go off a car dealership and say, hey, I just bought this car, but now I need to get the oil changed. Are you going to do that for free? No. You know, it's routine maintenance. And I don't know why so many integrators and so many customers especially think that we would do that for free when we're professionals just like everyone else. And, it, you know, segue time. I was going to say. That's just a sign of bad <laughs> self-esteem. That was exactly <laughs> where I'm going. Point. Keep going. Keep going. No, and, and actually the very next thing I was going to say was that is part of that. Is the fact that we're the the redheaded stepchild. I mean, that we're, we're the older, you know, lesser known uh, brother or sister. Uh, to to Dawn's point, the article she wrote this week is called "AV's Self Esteem Problem," and we do have one. I mean, some of that I think is the fact that you know we've been around for and Infocom celebrated its 70th anniversary uh, two years ago, three years ago actually, um, and so we've been around a long time, yeah, longer than than IT, I would say. And but but IT is so has become so ubiquitous. Everybody knows it. Everybody gets it. You understand that. Well, you know what? A router costs you know one hundred and two hundred bucks. I get that. Or you know, um, it's going to cost me some money to have somebody run some cables. But when it comes to having somebody you know uh, service my AV system, what do you mean you're going to charge me for that? And some of that is our self esteem, and some of that is saying, well, you know. Uh, normally we would do this, but because you're a nice customer or because you made me a steak or um, because I'm trying to get in good with you, uh, we're not going to do that, which is sometimes it cuts into our own bottom line. And we discount ourselves and we discount ourselves in our own minds and we discount ourselves to the customers. Um, so, Don, one of the things actually, uh, Gary and I talked about this on one of the daily raves this week and something he said, which I found interesting. I said, how do we get out of this? How do we get out of this this mentality that we are less than uh, another industry? And he said education, which I found interesting. Uh, he said, you know, whether that's at Infocom this year in Vegas, go to a show or go, go, go to training in Vegas this year or get online or get involved, whether that's with Cedia or that's with NSCA or, or, or Infocom uh, International, get involved and get educated. Would you say that that's at least one good step in, in getting this, you know, this woe is me mentality and shaking free of that? Dawn? Um, 
Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, you, you've, you've heard me on this show oh, yeah. before and you've read my stuff. I am a big proponent of education. Um, and, and that really is a way to, to A, boost the self-esteem of the installers and the business owners in our field to realize, yeah, we do have something unique to offer. We do have this knowledge, this skill level that, that we should charge for, you know, and, and that's very important. But by having the education as well, it gives us something to show our end users to convince them of that. You know, when, when you're building a building – you don't hesitate to pay for a proper architect because they've got an AIA certification and they've got this license and that license. And people have no problem paying whatever amount they charge. When you go to your doctor, they have an MD or a D, you know, whatever their, their particular doctorate is. And, and they have all this training and skill and you don't hesitate to pay the bills, you know, and even, even in the construction, when you're dealing with a carpenter, you, you know they've got this this license for this home improvement. Mm-hmm. You know, in Maryland, it's the MHIC license, and they've had these levels of training and gone through the apprenticeship and the, and the master and, you know, so forth. And you know there's that level of expertise, even if they're just putting a hammer and nail to a piece of wood. But you'll pay the hourly rate because you're not just getting some hack off the street with the hammer and nail. You've got a master carpenter. Yeah. And so by ed- – educating ourselves and our, our staffs, we have the self, we'll build our own self-esteem that we do have the smarts, the, the knowledge and the skill to be able to charge more and darn it, charge more for it. And, and then we can go to our customers and say, look, we, we've got these certifications. We've had all this training. We, we can do that. We know what we're doing here better than Timmy, the intern who hooked up his hey. mom's TV. Yeah, sorry. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's just that that's the mindset that both we are in and our customers are in. So we have to educate ourselves and our customers to kind of get over this hump. What about Matt, I the hope. intern, and, and George, and, the intern? Sorry. Matt's never been an intern, Tim. <laughs> Leave me alone. Uh, Matt, Matt uh, is, is, is this the right attitude? I mean, should we, sh- I, I agree with Don in education for me personally. And, and she knows this, and, and you guys know this. This is a big thing for me too, the fact that we don't have a a degree necessarily, and not necessarily we don't have a degree. Uh, you know, there is no bachelor's or master's degree in AV. So, careful now, Huntington will be on your butt about that. <sighs> he has a bachelor's in theatrical. Oh, he told me this. What was it, George? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, don't sure. know either. Good deal. Yeah, we'll me both, right back we'll on my both spot, be in trouble. Nice. <laughs> okay, so there's no master's degree in AV. I mean, there is – and one thing – and somebody told me this a long time ago, uh, dealing with architects, they, they will always look down on you unless you have an equal or greater amount of education. So what's an architect have, right? Um, you're looking at somebody that has a master's degree in, in architecture and, and how to do everything like that. So is there a master's in, in AV? I don't think there is. And so, um, Matt, you know, where do we, where do we go from here in, in making people, people in general understand, not obviously, you know, Don and me and, and C and, and George and you, but the public at large, that this is a valid, very valuable industry and the professionals in that industry are just just that professional 
Yeah, I, I would say that the hardest thing that we continually have to deal with is that there are people like ourselves who are professionals. But then there's also a large number of people who are trying to do what we do, which the public has has no way in which to actually and truly differentiate the two outside of the education uh, factor. So if you've got a CTS, that's definitely different than the guy who doesn't have a CTS. At the same time, you can have guys that don't have, for example, a CTS that have been doing this for 20 years and just never went and got, you know, wrote the test. Yeah. And the problem I've always come across is that you have guys like that who have 20 years in the field experience, have been doing this forever, know it better than half the guys that have CTSDs, unless, of course, they're, you know, Mr. A.V. Don. But, you know, <laughs> they have just a boatload of on-the-job experience, yet in a customer's eyes, they're no different than, just as you said, the guy off the street who set up his mom's TV or made a website. Uh, I've continually had a huge, huge problem with this to the fact that, you know, we, we do a fair amount of residential work, and a lot of it's very high-end residential work. And to most customers, we're still just the speaker guys. It doesn't matter how long we've been doing it, how professional we are, how much knowledge we have, especially among other trades. We're just, you know, the audio guys or the speaker guys or whoever. And, it, you know, we're the last person to have any input to anything. And I know one of the biggest things we've been doing as a company is every time we meet with a client, even if it's in the initial, you know, just, hey, do you guys do X? We instantly say yes, and we need to talk with you and meet with you with every other trade you meet with. If you're doing a new build, we need to be there the second you talk to an architect. We need to be there the second you talk to a builder, renovator, general contractor, whoever. Because in all reality, whether you understand it or, say, for example, the architect and the builder understand it, we are just as important as that electrician or as that carpenter, just as Dawn wrote in her post. Um, as you can tell, I, I'm totally with you, Dawn, on the soapbox thing. But it, it, Thank you. George, it, something it, that's, go ahead. No, it's, just, it's something that's extremely frustrating to be considered by most other trades in our industry as – Non, non-essential. To, to the point, I was speaking with a, a very large um, commercial AV company, and we got talking about graphic eyes uh, from Lutron Lighting Control pieces, and they spec them for every job. The electrical contractor does them every time. You know what they don't have anyone to do? Commission and program those devices. So yeah. that's where, you know, for us, we're looking at that as being great. We don't have to sell anything. We don't have to install anything. You guys install it. We'll literally just program it. But if you are so advanced and so special, y'all can spec these things. Y'all can install them. You can get an electrician with, with his, here is ESCA to go put it in, but it doesn't do anything until we come in and program it and make the soccer work. So all that money spent on specifying, designing, installing, doesn't mean a thing unless the AV company comes in and actually programs the the device to use it. 
Yeah. And, 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 and that is a lot of my point, Matt. I'm sorry. But Matt, that's a lot of my point is that, you know, and then what do you charge when you do something like that? Are you just charging your regular load. little rate <laughs> or, do you, or do you charge a buttload? And, and that's, the, that's the key is so many companies out there are giving away their expertise. They're giving away their knowledge because they just charge like a, a small hour low. I'm just going to go out and make the graphic guy work and that's nothing. They're still in the mindset of, you know, we sell equipment. And, and we give away our, our, our no, you, give away you, our mind. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and yeah. and you have to think about think about being willing. Just the the equipment doesn't matter. Let let the GC put the equipment in. Let the electrician put the equipment in. Who cares about that? You know, the important thing is we are the only ones that have the knowledge and the training and the programming ability, and we're the ones that have the brain power. We've got all this ex- experience in this. We, charge accordingly. Don't charge what the the wallpaper hanger is charging. Yeah, you we, know we've yeah. kind of come that, full that, circle that's with my this. Frustration. We've kind of come full circle with this because with our the first story we talked about was 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 smart technologies and whether or not they should license their their uh, software. Shoot, why the heck not? You know, if, yeah. if somebody's going to pay you for uh, the intellectual property that is your mind, that is you know your knowledge and your twenty years of experience, go ahead and let them. I mean, and charge them. You know what what it's worth not you know just oh i'm going to be a nice guy or uh, oh i'm just going to you know make a small thing here george is this um all apologies to john huntington (laughs) aside um is this you know something where we can do you think we can do this i guess is the best way to put this and i'll just put it bluntly do you think that we can you know get into the realm of the architects and the electrical engineers yes and i think it's really about one word relationships no education comes into it and i know but if you take a listen to the live life one of the other shows we do when we talk to some riggers one of the things that i learned about a lot of these riggers is they're not certified these guys have been learning from specific schools. They don't have a degree in this. They don't have an engineering background, most of them. They're riggers, and they learned it from a rigging school, right? But what makes their work work is the relationships they've built with other companies and other individuals, where they learned, where they grew from, where they moved on from. So you know, when we're dealing with the other trades like architects, I, I'm right with Matt's, Matt's thing. I need to be in on every conversation, please. This is not me just wanting to hog it. I want to know what's going on. <clears throat> You know, really what you want is to make sure that everyone knows your needs, but you want to present that as I just need to be in on all that so that when an architect makes a change, if we are all aware that it will change the way that your room sounds, then we're good and we'll get the sign off. But I want to be there to make sure that you get the best possible product. Right. So that's really about a relationship with the client, a relationship with the architect and even with the builders. And part of that's information. I mean, the first thing I thought about when I read this, Dawn, was that I have I have two small kids, seven and five, and they tend to right now mumble a little bit. And sometimes when they're saying things that, you know, we really push them to to, to broaden their horizons and say things and, and tell me why. Don't just say it. Tell me why you thought that. And my thing is don't mumble. Own what you say, right or wrong. Own it. And that makes you a much more powerful individual because everyone has to. Be aware of what you have to say, and then they can come to you with it as long as it's in that sort of realm of fairness. And that's my biggest thing is that all these relationships, 
really means something. Go to the contractor, general contractor. Say that you're concerned about certain things, but you just want to know. Go to the architect or be in on that conversation. You know, invite them to the shop one day. Hey, come on over. Let's go have a beer or something. I want to show you something. That this is why I'm concerned. And here's what the solution is. You may be interested in it. Those kind of relationships steps it up. Yes, architects have this thing. Trust me, I've been trying to get the uh, AIA on one of our shows, and they just it not there. They've dismissed me. Um, partially because of where we're coming from, but that is a stepping stone to that kind of relationship. And when they raise up their interest to you and they start to respect you, even on that level, it brings everything up. Right. Good point. You know, what's kind of interesting is that you all are talking about this in terms of sort of an industry that has already flowered and has all these branches and you've addressed all these branches, um, and, and ways to sort of be more legitimized in the eyes of others. But, None of us really talked about, you know, how the industry grows, you know, how we start up new plots and things like that. And and, and one thing that um, architectures and, and other industries have that we don't is um, recognition at sort of a more basic, I don't know, trade school or university mm-hmm. level. I mean, most people that I hear about that are youngish that go into the, that enter the AV industry, stumble upon it by accident. And you even talked about, um, George, you talked about how in your rental staging podcast, they had these schools that they learned from, and then they were able to then go and get experiences um, and, and grow their businesses in, in really productive ways. But the AV, when I, when I got into the AV industry, I had no idea about the service component. I thought that AV was mostly hardware. I didn't know about the programmers or anything like that. And what I did was I started to see, oh, well, uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill has this media production sort of leg, and I see where AV people accidentally stumble into, or, you know, people who don't realize that they're AV people yet, I see where they accidentally stumble into the AV industry. So the, the point, I guess, I'm trying to, that I'm trying to make is that the industry as a whole hasn't really reached out to the outside world a lot, similar to the way AMX is reaching out to Cisco. The industry needs to reach out to uh, more established places for education for people that are not yet even in the industry, um, whether that's going to schools and creating programs or doing seminars like that um, to show people what AV is and how that might be a viable option. I mean, I, I just feel like people don't, know about it. And then by the time they do find out, they're struggling about how to stay relevant in an industry that already exists instead of making new roots and, and blossoming from there. So um, I, I would like to see, uh, maybe Infocom's already doing this, maybe CD is already doing this, but I, I would like to see them go into universities and implement programs that show people that the AV industry isn't just something that you learn in your media productions class. And it's not just lighting, you know, which is, I think, the most that people see. <laughs> um, it can be so much more in, in what you learn in school if it's tailored to um, to AV can really push it out there and make it legitimate so that, you know, when I go up to my mother or somebody and I say, yeah, hey, I work in the AV industry, she she doesn't, you know, shrug her shoulders and say, well, okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> <You know>? I mean... <laughs> um, that may you you make a very good point because it, and we've talked about this for a long time. I mean, it, Dawn said that her mom thought for years that she's you know sold VCRs, and and uh, one of our buddies, you know, Rich, right. Rich Fragosa <laughs> says that he's he's an he's a VCR repairman. You know, um, that's done somewhat tongue in cheek, but unfortunately, it's it's not 
far from the truth because that's that's how if if people know what the industry is, that's how they see us. And, right. And so the question becomes, how right. do you change that? You know. Um, well, I, I, I feel like you should go to schools as soon as possible and you know get the message out there that the AV industry exists and and here's how you can get into it and here's what it does and here's what it is and here's why it is the way. It well, is. You know, I have some personal experience with that because when I I graduated from a <laughs> graduated from a school called IAR Institute of Audio Research, it's a trade school. You see them late night on TV, right? Um, but it's actually a decent decent place. But say, don't, what we did don't is we knock reached, it. Well, you know. It's a trade school. That's right. There's nothing uh, wrong with you, you left with the tools. I loved the school. Don't get me wrong. I, I did love the school. I, I don't know much about it nowadays, but I love the school. But the point being is that I went back to the school when I started working for this staging company to say, guys, I've been through the recording studio. It basically was, you know, it's a place to churn out recording studio wannabes. Uh, and some of them will do it, but some of them think, you know, when I leave, I will be a top recording engineer. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. No, you're going to be making coffee and cleaning toilets for about a year or two. That's what you're going to be doing a lot of if they even let you in the door. We went there to say, do you really want to do that? You might want to do that and you'll earn your stripes and you'll finally get to touch the, the tape machine once or twice a year. Or come to this side of the industry where we're using all that stuff, but we're doing live staging events. And yeah, sometimes we work with the big names, but you're going to learn a lot. And my sell was you're going to learn about technologies that the people in recording studios are going to see in two more years. Yeah, we're renting them stuff, but they're not going to see this stuff that we do, and you want to be on top of that. And i got to tell you, one of my very first interns now was a, a guy that came from that school, showed an interest as somebody called a wireless walker. I gave, basically gave him wireless mics and said, I need to test this rack. Let's test these two, then these two, then these two, then I'm all on. You know, he ran around the room going, one, two, one, two, so I could hear if the, if the things popped, right? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. I got a little Skype message. Um, <laughs> the long and short of that is that I just saw this guy again after coming back to this company because he had left it just after I arrived at my second iteration to go become the chief RF architect or the RF frequency coordinator coordinator for the NHL. Wow. That's where this kid who was probably going to be stuck bouncing around recording studios for a while if he really and, – and, you know, he's, he's a good guy. So he may have eventually r risen right up to the top of the cream of the crop. He's that smart. But he chose this after seeing it going, oh, my God, I never knew about this is great. And look where it led. I am – you know, I'm like a proud papa. You know, it's like <laughs> not only did he go and do something really big, but it's for the NHL. You know, I feel like the guy in, uh, in Rudy. You know, my eyes have seen the, greater, you know, the greenest grass, oh, right? But that is where it starts, I think. Back to my relationship and what NC's saying. It's awesome. That stuff does work, and that's where that kind of building up happens. It's going to be a long term, but it will work. No, it will. And either that or, you know, one of us needs to get sold for $30 million and start our own college. So, <laughs> either one. I mean, it, it could happen either way. I, I'm not picky. It, it could happen, sure. Anything could happen. All right. Uh, you have been listening to AV Week. Uh, one quick thing, and, and George will kind of book in this. Uh, this group of people, NC Nwako from, from Ray Publications, Matt Scott from Omega Audio Video, Dawn Mead from, um, well, she's from AV Dawn, but she's also from uh, Net AV, and George Tucker from World Stage. This, in addition to C. Scott Moody uh, from Media Matters, this is our, our group that gets together once a month for AV Social and give people one more time uh, kind of a rundown the elevator pitch for what AV Social is and what it does. AV Social is a social media forum for AV dealers to learn better ways and ways to use social media. It's us. We're, we're AV people too. 
most of us are not marketing people. We're people who grew up in AV and said the social media thing's pretty cool and have used it to grow their businesses. And this is the main point of it is that it will help you grow your businesses, whether it's relationships with other guys on, on online to say, hey, you're doing that too. Oh, we can help each other or finding potential clients. Uh, and that's what we talk about a lot. And, it, and while it seems simple in form, it really is a very in-depth uh, uh, topic that we can talk probably hundreds of shows about new ways to do that, things that are being done and people who are, are moving and shaking it. Uh, and we are bringing the passion of social media to the AV community. Very cool. Usually the, the show will post uh, the last Wednesday of the month is kind of the general <laughs> vicinity, uh, depending on all of our schedules. And to get that show, uh, you can go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation, ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. It's on the right hand side. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, NC Nwako, thank you so much, ma'am. It was a pleasure. Uh, do you have a Twitter or something you would like to, to promote it, or pimp? Yes. Um, you can follow uh, me personally at NC underscore Nuoko. That's N-W-O-K-O. And then also um, you can uh, see what um, I'm talking about at Rave SMB. It's our um, social media blueprint geared toward the AV industry. And we have um, blogs and, and different things that go out there on social media directly relating to B2B companies and um, specifically the AV industry. So, yeah, follow me at both places, at Rave SMB and at NC underscore N-W-O-K-O. And she will be crazy busy uh, over the next couple of months or so, uh, gearing up for Infocom oh. and during Infocom. I yes. cannot imagine. Uh, our favorite Canadian who hates hockey, which is kind of weird, uh, <laughs> Matt Scott. Thank you so much for joining I'm, us, buddy. I'm learning to love it, gentlemen. No, I'm learning to love it. Root for the Blues at I, least for the next couple of days. Root for the Blues, please. Eh. I, I I'm trying eh. to get all the help I can get, dude. I'm hoping right, for for a Blues Rangers uh, playoff so George and I can go watch them in Vegas. So, <laughs> well, I'm not. A, I'm definitely not a fan of LA. So, well, there we go. I can, I, I can hook you up. Uh, he is from Omega Audio Video, a fabulous integrator up in London, Ontario, Canada. Where would you like people to find you, sir? Uh, you can find us uh, on Twitter at Omega Audio Video at Matt B. Scott or at OmegaAudioVideo.com. Very cool. Uh, the lovely and talented A.V. Dawn. Never eclipsed, not even by Mr. A.V. Dawn, even though he has a D, which I'm very jealous of. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. She is the marketing and media coordinator of NetAV uh, and, and uh, your other blog and, and Twitter handles and stuff. She seems to have uh, dropped off on us, and I can't get her back. Guys. That's so all right. That's right. I'd like to do the Academy Award thing and then say, on behalf of the Academy of AV Dawn, I'd like to thank you for the compliment. Um, no, <laughs> Dawn, you can find Dawn at uh, at avdawn.com, and she's also a blogger uh, for the Rave Pubs Blog Squad, which is where the the aforementioned blog we, we talked about. Uh, so she is awesome and great. And also our buddy, our pal, um, Mr. George Tucker, the engineering coordinator for World Stage. Where can people find you and your ramblings, sir? In several places at Tucker Twos on Twitter, tuckertuesday.typepad.com, and I am the official voice of World Stage. WorldStage.com. You're the official wo voice of World Stage. 
Yeah, you know. Well, they don't we'll try it out. Me. We'll see what happens. I could yeah, get we'll in trouble see. for that. That is true. All right. Um, <laughs> my name is Tim Albright. If you would like to follow me as I knock my microphone very unprofessionally, uh, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, uh, you can. Uh, it is Tim David TD Albright. Uh, but more importantly for me and for everybody here, please go to the website ravepubs.com ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. That's where you'll find this show and a host of others, including a daily, uh, I, I say that word very lightly this week, uh, but a daily show we do with Gary Kay um, and a bunch of monthlies, and then this one we do every week. So go to the website ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. Thank you so much for listening. It's all the time we have for AV Week.